In this episode, I share with you my top learnings on how to improvise full sessions or scenes in your D&D games. Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe whether you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and YouTube, and share this episode with a friend if you'd be so kind. My name is GM Smudge, and welcome to the SmudgeCast. What's up everyone, whenever or wherever you are, and this is going to be a fun chat because I'm going to share with you a story. It's a very vivid story for me in my second year-long campaign that I ran, and it's a memory that begins with, uh, oh shit, they figured it out, what am I going to do? Um, but it has to do really with my players at the time forcing my hand because one player is was brilliant in the moment and really forcing my hand, meaning like they knew what they were trying to do and I just wasn't prepared because <laughs> I'm an idiot as a GM sometimes. And then I had to improvise an entire session, literally an entire full three plus hour session when I had a full session prepared. But hands down to this day, this whole full session that I remember, I remember all the details of, and I still talk to my players about and all my friends about, which to this day, they've even said it was one of their favorite sessions. So now I don't know about you, but not everyone grew up improvising and doing improv in clubs or theaters or with local teams. So it can be really hard for most, I would think, but I was really fortunate enough uh, when I was um, in high school to have been a part of an improv team all four years, plus and then some other jobs that required me to be in front of people, on my toes, witty, etc. And then when I first started playing D&D, it was with my one friend who I did improv with. So it was like this seamless transition for me. And all the sessions we did were pure improv literally like we were improv improvising like interesting stories and silly characters and it was not about rules at all there was like barely any rules involved whatsoever and it was literally just him and i we had a couple friends that jumped in here and there um but overall it was just him and i being silly in his kitchen now there's no handbook for improv in D D. like there's no manual there's no true inspiration for for improv in and of itself because there really can't be uh, i think there are key aspects to improv that once you learn will benefit you greatly which is exactly what i want to share with you today now this is a hundred percent for the whole table players and gms both need to learn how to improv a bit but usually we believe the scale only leans kind of like falls on the gm but players we have a lot at stake in our games, and the more that we can improv, learn how to improv, get quick on our toes with decision-making, the more enjoyable of a story that we all can have. So in a way, players have a way more difficult job. You know, they don't have any prep. <laughs> really, GMs, they get the they get all the prep. They have as much prep as they as they desire in the amount of time that they have for the next session. But players, we're improvising the entire time, excuse me. Yet either way, both sides got to grow. We got to learn how to improv a bit for the sake of the game and the story. So I'm going to share with you the whole story of what occurred that evening in my kitchen, 30 sessions in with a group of five players and one NPC, which was like my character that was in the group, kind of a moral compass and support in some ways. And then we'll break down some improv elements uh, that we can take away from. So here we go essentially the party was in a town called black pit where they believed the second summoning ritual was going to happen to bring back some master from the dead. This was the sort of a dead sorcerer that was capable of amalgamation magic, which for my world is the combination of multiple magics. So they're in black pit and they knew the main clock tower had something to do with what was going on. The tower was directly adjacent and connected to the mountain hovering over the small town. And now my whole story 
that they were going to play was having them figure out how to, a way to enter in the tower, even though it was broken down, boarded up, and the town said it was getting fixed. And so really it was on lockdown. Now, what the party talked about within their plan, I mean, I thought that, you know, they were just going to go spy on the mayor at one point and just kind of go talk to the mayor because they couldn't enter into the specific lockdown tower. And so as the GM, I planned a whole session revolving around them going to talk to said mayor to try to get some keys to open up a way to get into the tower, etc. You know, or maybe even getting past some of the guards. I can't remember if that was true or not, but I, I remember building out something like that, you know, some fights that were in silence some skill checks that revolved around stealth and quick action with an interrogation scene for said mayor. But then that didn't happen. <laughs> what ended up sort of kind of happening is that we get started and one of the players goes, you know, before morning comes, can we all wake up early and kind of inspect the tower? And I'm like, okay, sure, whatever, right? It's all locked up. I'm rem I remind them, blah, blah, blah. Then they get there and right before I'm about like, to be like, this door's locked and all that jazz, he goes, I cast knock on it. And I go, I don't, I don't know what that is. What's that spell? And he proceeds to read, Choose an object that you can see within range. The object can be a door, a box, a chest, a set of manacles, a padlock, or another object that contains a mundane or magical means that prevents access. A target that is held shut by a mundane lock or that is stuck or, or barred because uh, becomes unlocked, unstuck, or unbarred. My jaw drops. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I knew that the door was magically locked on my side and that there was some kind of abjuration, necrotic magic that was keeping it shut again, that amalgamation magic, which is why it would take more than just trying to, you know, than to normally unlock it. <sighs> but I was totally taken back. And then I stupidly made them have to like open up the door in a weird way with them trying to grab the keyhole and shimming the door open. And I was like, oh no, this is going to get crazy. And in my notes, uh, you know, behind, uh, I had that was, it said that behind the clock tower and in the mountain was the, was where the ritual was going to happen, but not yet. So at that point, I had to begin the most improvised three hours I could think of. So now, I, I won't bore you with every detail, but I, I do kind of want to hit on a little bit of some of the moments that did occur. Um, and so I was thinking in that moment, you know, if I were a player, what would be so fun and crazy to happen? Now, since I've had a background in improv, I knew that I had to create a dynamic character for them to face with, with direct actions, make sure that its goal were to stop the players from finding out more about what's happening, namely the ritual, uh, give them simple answers to any of the questions that they had, uh, to not say no too much or at all, invite them with a unique situation or a couple situations and trust my gut and know if, if something did come up that I had to improv and, I, and didn't make sense, that I'd be to justify it later, which 100% happened, by the way. So they get in and they inspect it all inside this tower. I knew I wanted it to be four stories or for four levels in my head, which gave me a recipe for four areas of the tower to improv. Bottom level showed crates of Warforged tech and disguise kits. Second level were random crates and additional ladders going up. However, they got to level three and there were three Warforged that were quote unquote off, sort of speak, but were set there for protecting the tower. Again, I'm just thinking about this all in my head. What would I want as a player and what would be interesting? Um, but they ended up waking up those Warforged and they fought and did some kind of crazy stuff like punching a hole in the wall of the tower. I even grabbed some of my terrain quickly and their minis to build a small battle board. So all three get destroyed and one gets thrown out of the previous hole in the wall and drops to the snow, the Warforged character. And they get to the top 
Now, at that point, they get to the top, and there's a massive bell and gears, which at that point, um, when they get to the top, they notice the clocks are all broken. And, and not only were they, they just a little bit broken, they ended up doing more inspection and said, well, it actually, instead of them just being broken, they were just off, right? So it just made it to look like they were broken. So there was this power source that was missing, which was the main object that they were looking for as well. So at this point, I'm like, what now? They got to the top. They noticed that this clock was here, that it shouldn't have been really broken. It's just sort of off. And I thought, what would be the last thing as a player I'd want to happen if someone was sneaking around something? Or if I was sneaking around something, I shouldn't be. Then I think, well, if I'm not supposed to be here, then someone entering would provide an anticipation and the players would have to hide or do something to not be seen. So someone then enters from below through the mountain, a secret entrance. And at that time, I believe I had two figures. One was a black and cloaked skeleton mask figure. And then a smoky form appears and moves slowly up the levels to the party. And the, the, the party is like totally freaking out, trying to navigate what the hell is happening. And then the smoke enters and I'm like, well smoke could enter someone and maybe like possess them <laughs> so then i had a player make a wisdom saving throw and they they totally failed it uh, they they completely failed it and it was it, it was so exciting because at that point th now the players are sort of fighting one another and and it was just this whole crazy overall experience that uh, that just made my players have complete fear within themselves. Like, am I going to kill a character? Because at that point, this whole Civil War moment is happening. Um, and at, I guess at one point, too, they succeed on a, a skill check later so that it leaves their body and then goes into another NPC party member, which was that was the moment that they thought that they were going to die in the hands of one of the other players who just looks up at, at them and is trying to fight them and kill them, but they're just possessed. And so they're, they're just trying to navigate all the complexities of all that. And then I had another player that kind of jumps and follows the four stories and almost dies. And then it ends with a, a undead dragon breaking through the mountain, showing the entrance to a tunnel to the ritual. It picks up the Warforge on the ground, holding a giant green gem, which is the same power source that they were basically looking for, which was the power source that probably was in the clock tower and ends up flying off <sighs> that was a lot <laughs> but it was it was so cool um it was such a blast and it was something that it was truly to to for us to remember forever um again sorry that was a lot but in, there was honestly so much more that even happened and it all worked out and it matched the story now that doesn't always happen but after thinking much about it th there were a lot of good things that and it's some bad that i had to fix later um but a small lesson, though, for me is, is in all of this is to really know my character stuff. I know that as a GM, it can be a lot and you're trying to juggle so much, but truly to navigate your character stuff and understanding who they are, what they what they are, their race, their class, all their features, etc., is going to be something that's going to be overall in the long run very beneficial. But this was a challenging moment that made me a better GM. So thank you, said character. <laughs> um, but I already alluded to some things that I focused on. Uh, when going into the night in the session, but like I want to, I want to lay them all out in a very practical way for us, because like I said, D and D improv isn't really expressed and understood, uh, in my opinion, very well, um, and so this is just a huge help for me, and this is what I learned, and I want to share it with you. So number one is improvise actions 
and not goals. So first things first, when improving scenes or an entire session, it's really great to have goals established ahead of the, ahead of time. For me, the goal I knew was that the antagonist would not want anyone to know about the clock tower, the events surrounding it, and would attempt to stop them, the characters, and keep things silent in the town. So from that, I was able to simply improv actions surrounding that said goal, which leads me to the point, like I said, of improv, improvising actions and not goals. Now, I believe that if I didn't have the goal set beforehand, the session could have more likely fallen flat. Um, so in any case, I would say do your best GMs if, you know, in knowing the goals for why things are happening so that you can improv actions that justify that decision. And I've talked about this several times before. Uh, I believe I talked about this in episode four. So definitely go check that out. Um, but I'd encourage you to um, really think through the antagonist goals or before even getting into the session every time. Every single time, even before the campaign starts, understanding the antagonist goals, their motives, and break it that down for the sessions to come with options for you then you to implement and how to improvise then the actions that they would do with those specific goals. I mean, another way to put this is when you don't know why something is happening in your story, that's a bigger problem than the problem of improv. And I've said this now how many times? 10, 20, 30 times. Your story is only limited if you can't identify goals and the why for things. So practically... If you know you got to improv something that's goal-related, let the players even have a five-minute break so that you can brainstorm and come up with an idea. It's better to stop for five minutes than play three hours worth of uninterested, inconsistent stories. So once again, hit up episode four, um, uh, which connects a lot to this aspect of improv and, and, and goals and antagonist goals, etc. And it's going to be a lot of help for you. Um, but a big skill in improv is learning also how to, how to quickly respond to something simply, not with crazy complexity, um, but enough to answer uh, for the the story to actually progress and allow that story progression. So really what it comes down to is provide simple answers. You know you have your hands tied here because you're in deep improv mode. So don't try to solve the world or make things more complicated than they need to be because good stories are really boiled down to simple stories. The perfect example that I just think of right now is like Frodo. He's literally journeying to throw a ring in a volcano. And that's the whole journey is where it's, and and you watch the journey as it's about, you know, what stands in the face of Frodo and his fellowship. And that's what we get to watch. So, and you're honestly, your players are going to see right through it all. If you have complicated improv and find all the plot holes. So all, and all the issues, all the weird inconsistencies way before you can even process it in the moment. So, you know, improv scenes and your sessions You'll have to do it, but make sure you provide the simple, straightforward answers. Don't try to don't try to create a M Night Shyamalan s- session with your improv in that very moment, unless you are capable of doing so, and you will know if you are capable of doing so. And this applies to players as well. When you're improving scenes within the story, sometimes a way to get a story moving or progressing is by asking a question. And that question could be toward an NPC, toward another player. And by question, I mean like. So where are we going to next? Didn't the the last NPC we talk about say to head north? It's so dumb. It's so simple, but it's it's just something that's needed to get the story moving and 
the story progressing holistically. Now, I do think that the difficulty comes from players looking for something in the room or info about someone, and then it would require some kind of check. And I've often just asked them, that the players, if there's something specific they're looking for. And when they give me the list of things, I now have a simple answer to their question. And so now the role becomes, do they get that very thing they're asking for or not? Or in a different variation than I can think of in the in the point eight seconds of a roll, and then on top of this, if they're they roll very high or even a nat twenty, you need to honor that roll, GM. You need to honor the roll to provide them something mean, meaningful. But I know it can be you know difficult to do that if you're improving and they roll a natural twenty on a uh, they're casting identifying on something right. And you don't even know what that thing is, <laughs> and but you know that it's probably magical or something, and now you're sort of stuck. Again, I understand that, that could be difficult, but that's D&D, and you have to figure out ways for yourself to be prepared enough to be able to offer some sort of gratifying answer for said player. Um but again, it could be something exactly that they are looking for already, like asking the player a little bit, and we'll get into that in a second, um, what they're kind of looking for and what they kind of believe the magic item was, right? So they cast Identify. Hey, wh- wh- what are you thinking this is really? Oh, I think it's going to be something that can levitate and I can use and give myself a plus one to my attack rolls. Exactly. And it is, you know, it's just it's it's helpful. It's a simple answer in an improvised moment, especially, you know, if you really have nothing to offer. Truly, and that really happens. But I would say this entire session that I had was me offering simple answers to one main overarching question. What is in the tower? And then how will they attempt to stop the players? That's, you know, kind of stepping away from it. I was able to kind of think through that and focus on that a little bit for myself to, to learn and uh, coming into the to each session of asking them, what's the overarching question that is being asked this session? If I can prepare for it, if I can't, then I learn how to improv more and I use these tactics that we're talking about. But the best way to gauge if your improv feels quote unquote enough for the story or for the moment is to ask yourself, how complete does this feel right now and how is it pacing? Because if it doesn't feel like things are coming along, uh, it's a long, it feels long and complicated or inconsistent answers are being given or it feels very slow and static, then I would say to push things forward even more if you can because when people improv, they tend to end up with like deer in the headlights and everything stops or slows down. So it's important to, to first know that your, you know, that your improv moments or scenes will mo- more likely slow down, which helps knowing that because you'll become more hyper aware of it so that it doesn't happen as much. So in the end, if you can offer simplicity to your story as a GM, you know, live inside the options the players give you or already when you ask them and let the dice offer the end result, then your improv moment or moments will more likely stay consistent and hopefully easier overall. Now, number three in this is, this is huge. This is probably one of the biggest things for me and especially in, in improv, if you've seen it in a, a TV show or if you've gone to a comedy club or whatever, is this whole idea of yes and. And this is fundamentally you know, the rule, like I said, that only generates moving in progressive moments and stories. And to improv, you know, to improv and say no is the same as killing the scene, the moment, the story, or the session. And now I'm sure you, GM, are thinking, well, if, if I say yes to everything, then my players would do whatever they want and things wouldn't, you know, make sense or things will feel too OP. And I would say, 
No. <laughs> I would say, you know, I say yes to my players in game way more than I say no. And the and the no only ever comes to depending on the role. Uh, not because it, I, I don't have the idea um, or, you know, it doesn't make sense in my in my opinion or any other reason. Right. Like. Like it, it, yes and no, it both offer story progressions. Yes. But in this case, when you're improving, do your best to not say no. Yeah, they like I said, they they help progress the story further, uh, you know, or or you know, not to keep it moving at times, which is no, the word no when you're saying that. But responding with yes and no are both viable options depending on the story or whether the players, you know, where they're at. I mean, I do truly get it. I think of no as more of a healthy obstacle that can make for even more anticipation. But no, because it's hard because. You don't have things planned or, you know, or you're a GM and you didn't think of something that the player solved it. You know, you got to say yes still and let them have their win. Just because your BBG dies in the first two rounds of combat because the the players rolled well and they've just made really good decisions. Don't don't make it so you punish them because of their brilliancy truly and which is another form of saying no but when it comes to improvising it may feel harder or might feel like you're losing control so to speak and saying no is just an easier go to answer so that you don't have to continue the improv thread in conversation or whatever is happening in the game so the principle here is to really grow and to really grow in Within improv is the quintessential principle, yes and. So in our games, yes and could it really looks like listening to what the players are looking for and offering a yes and. And so for an example is player ask, hey, uh, can I see if this is over here? Give me a perception check. Sure. They roll and they roll like a 15 or higher. Give them, you know, you don't maybe have to give them the exact answer of what they're looking for or what they're trying to find, but give them something. They might find some footprints heading in the opposite direction. Interesting. Why would that be? Now you have to keep improvising and going down that bunny trail. And then players, when you're told no, this is really hard to hear. I I've get it. I've done, I've said no, and I've experienced no on one side. And saying no as a GM and being told no, it's just hard. You just got to know it's not personal and you have to maybe help your GM understand better what you're looking for and how you want it to occur or maybe offer a mechanic, which we'll get into in a second. But do your best to hear the no and move on. So moving on here, number four. Everyone has the opportunity to make the call. Let me first just say that everyone at the table is equal, meaning we all have a piece of responsibility to add, push, change, move the story along. I'll even say it this way. The GM is not only responsible for creating plot, conflicts, uh, story navigation, etc. It's honestly on the players. So then what do we do as a GM when we're stuck improvising out of our comfort zones or even in, in our comfort zones? I think it's, it's very fair to then lean on one another and ask to the players, what do we all want to see happen next in this moment? Or what would make sense based on the story to see happen here, this very moment? Everyone should get the opportunity to make the call, whether it's on a rule or a moment in the story. Now, I'm not saying every moment. I'm just saying in light of deep improvised moments or strategic moments in the story, the GM could ask the group how or what do they want to see happen next and then try to weave it in. Or maybe you're on break and you're asking the party, hey, what do we want to see happen next? And then try to weave it in, like I said. I've had moments of improv as a player and GM where I'll ask everyone at the table, hey, so here's where you're at. What would make sense to happen 
happen next in the story. And then you go and try it, especially if you're not comfortable with improving rules and mechanics, depending on what else you know, the players want to do, I'll offer my, my GM something that I want and, and a potential mechanic so that they don't feel like it's only on them and vice versa. I love giving my players the option to give me a mechanic for a specific situation they want to see happen. And this is just another element or another way to say yes and because everyone has an opinion of what they want. Even if you're that one player who's like, I'm open to anything and I'm just here to hang with people. If that's you, I would actually ask you to be more helpful and give options to help move the story along. So GMs, allow your table to improv with you, even if it feels a little robotic or it takes away from the moment and let the table create what's happening and then go off of that. And players, offer the GM support when you can see that things are going nowhere or when they do ask for options on story and ruling give it. <laughs> Please be supportive. Continuing on here, number five is really trust your gut now and then find a better answer later. The great thing about D&D is that it's not like a movie where it needs to be done and complete in one sitting. However, it feels like a movie when we play it, when we do sit. So D&D has time in between sessions. So it's okay to provide an answer, which in the back of your mind, you're thinking that contradicts everything so far. I have no idea how this is going to make sense moving forward. That's completely okay. You have time to just justify it later and come back to the party with the greatest story explanation ever. So when you're improving a scene or a full session, trust your gut, your instincts as a GM and your instincts as a player. GMs, you know your world. You know what would be cool to all of a sudden create. You understand the minds of your players. And players, you don't need a script to read to have conversations with people in game. Sometimes it's actually more helpful to not think about what your character would do, but just what would I do or vice versa. It might be helpful to think about what your character would do because you as a person would not know how to navigate that. Either side could make sense. Or, you know, what's everyone doing in this moment? That could help generate some things for you to move forward to and improv overall decisions to make, right? And then, like I said, you have time between sessions or even in moments in game to figure out or update your answers to give, like an hour ago. But no matter what you're really needing, you know, you need to do, you, you really need to be consistent overall. If you said one thing, don't completely change it the next session. Justify it the best way you, you can later. In my story, you know, that I improvised, that giant green gem that the undead dragon took, I had no idea what it was, you know. I, I However, I had time to figure out later and come to the table next week or when the story mattered for me to provide an explanation of it. So, everyone, you're doing a great job and it's all going to work out. You just got to spend some time and you got to think. Uh, you know, an honorable mention here is what else you know, for me made that session I shared very straightforward and fun for everyone was that I did not have any dialogue between me and the character specific. I didn't need to improv questions or conversations or anything, just situations. So really it was about cause and effect, listening and reacting to what the players did. And I was just simply offering what would then happen based on what they did. So in a nutshell here, if you can improv less dialogue, that's going to potentially help keep your eyes on other things that than trying to converse your way through it all. Now, I hope this week you can begin to feel confident in improving 
if you're forced to improv or if you're looking to stretch that skill a little bit more. And if you're having any trouble with this or need support, please message me on Instagram and TikTok at GM Smudge, all one word. I'd love to be able to help you and, and be able to provide any support for your story. I love, I've had a couple people reach out to me about your, their stories and it's just so fun to just offer some, some thoughts and it gives me inspiration for my stories. And GMs out there, I have a, a huge help for you and have a couple links uh, down below that's re re revolved around inspiration for your stories. I, I call it the Inspiration Vault, my co-writer and I. It's a free downloadable PDF that focuses around different aspects of the game. And I have two thus far. One is the Dungeons Editions for stories around dungeons and a session edition for scene session support with 20 plus various scenes you can have, which I use every week for building sessions in my games. So check those out. Also make sure to like, subscribe, hit the bell, follow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so that you can get notified each week when an episode drops. Please share this with your friend or a party. It helps to get the podcast moving forward and, and be able to help support people put to practice good storytelling in their D&D games. And, and comment below, how much do you hate improv? <laughs> Maybe even share some good moments or some horror stories that you've had. And then lastly, make sure to add value to your game so that your game becomes more memorable. See you later.